CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This week, China's interwebs were dominated by the news of leaked video footage of JD.com CEO Richard Liu's encounters with the woman accusing him of raping her. That and Luck and Coffee's filing for IPO on the Nasdaq. That was pretty surprising, actually, given that it had just raised $150 million from BlackRock just a week ago at a $2.9 billion valuation. But if you listen to our episode 32 on the business, you'll know that it's extremely cash intensive or cash flow negative. So maybe that's the smart move to make to strike while the IPO iron is still hot. By the way, that Luckin episode was our fourth most popular episode of the past year. And you can check out which other episodes our listeners liked best on our Twitter account. Hint, there is a lot of Tencent in the top five. Speaking of Tencent, today's episode is on companies that have strong ties to Tencent, as do their competitors and pretty much the entire space, because it is on, yep, as you can see in our title, gaming live streaming. Which is not Yingying's favorite subject at all. But she has agreed that we should do this episode because... Well, gaming live streaming is big business in China, so much so that one of the subjects of today's episode, Douyu, is actually the second gaming live streaming company in a year to go public in the U.S., the first one being Huya last May. Another fairly recent IPO, Bilibili, which went public just barely a year ago, is also tangentially related, at least in the sense that it has a small portion of its revenues from gaming live streaming. A very small portion. But that hasn't stopped it from getting into esports anyways, and it now owns both a professional League of Legends and an Overwatch team. As we've already explained in one of our deep dives on Tencent back in episode 19, gaming is its lifeblood. No wonder then that all three of the companies we just mentioned, yep, you guessed it, they all share Tencent as a shareholder. In fact, the ever-prolific Tencent investment team invested in Huya and Douyu on the same day, March 9th of last year. By the way, now is a good time to remind you that if you know nothing about live streaming in China, you should check out our episode 7, How to Win Fans and Influence Losers. Still one of my favorite titles, and I think one of our best episodes. But let's move on to Douyu, Huya, and Panda TV. No relation to Pandaily, of course. Nope, we just all really love pandas like all of China does. In fact, like all of the world does. Who doesn't like pandas? They're so cute. Eh, I think snakes are cuter. Trust me, I'll show you after we finish recording. But what are we waiting for, Yingying? Let the games begin. The president's key economic team goes to China. Uh, after a whole night thinking, I say I still want to do it. Hi, everyone. We are Tech Buzz China by Pan Daily, powered by the Seneca Podcast Network. We are a bi-weekly podcast focused on giving you a peek into what's buzzing within the tech community in China. 
We uncover and contextualize unique insights, perspectives, and takeaways on headline tech news that don't always make it into English language coverage, so you can be smarter about the world of China tech. TechBuzz China is a part of Pandaily.com, an English language site that tells you everything about China's innovation. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Ray Ma. And I'm your other co-host, Yingying Liu. We'd like to acknowledge our partners, Deal Street Asia and Sub China, creator of the Seneca Podcast Network. In addition to Tech Buzz, you can also find Seneca, which covers current affairs, Nui Voices on Women, the business-oriented China Econ Talk, and the Taishin Seneca Business Brief from China's leading business magazine. Speaking of Deal Street Asia, their annual private equity and venture capital conference, the Asia PEVC Summit, is set to take place on the 17th and 18th of September this year. To register, simply go to their website at dealstreetasia.com. By the way, Ray, we hit an important milestone last week, which is that Tech Buzz officially turned one year old last week. That's right. We launched on April 17th, 2018, and this is our 43rd episode. You know what I would like for our tech buzzversary, Yingying? What? I'd like to see us break a hundred ratings and reviews on iTunes. We're pretty close, guys. So help us get there. Again, we do read all of your comments, and if you send us a screenshot of your review on iTunes or any other platform and your mailing address, we are very happy to send you some tech buzz swag. Today's episode is brought to you by the University of San Francisco. USF's new Master's in Applied Economics combines econ training with practical skills in data analytics, all geared towards helping you understand and analyze today's new digital economy. Their curriculum covers skills like R and Python, machine learning, and experimental design, plus topics like the economics of platforms, auctions, pricing, and competitive business strategy. To learn about joining the Fall 2019 inaugural class, TechBuzz listeners can visit usfca.edu/techbuzz. Okay, so as you already know by now, today's episode features Douyu, which proclaims itself to be China's largest game-centric live streaming platform. The company filed to go public on the NYSE and has set a target of up to $500 million for its IPO. But is it really the largest game-centric live streaming platform in China? Well, yes and no. Let's start with some top-line stats here. By MAU, it's almost one third bigger than Huya, with 154 million users versus Huya's 117 million. However, by paying number of users, it's about one eighth smaller, at just 4.2 million versus Huya's 4.8 million last quarter. And more importantly, in terms of revenue, in 2018, it was nearly one quarter smaller than Huya, at just over half a billion USD, whereas Huya was almost 700 million. Huya's gross margin also reached a high of almost 16% last year, while Douyu had negative gross margins until last year, where it was barely positive at 4%. And you know what else? Huya was actually profitable last year with an 11% net margin, unlike Douyu, which had a negative 24% net margin. So yeah, maybe Douyu is the biggest by average number of monthly active users, but Huya seems to trounce it in almost every other financial metric. And today, Huya has a market cap of over five billion dollars. 
But that's okay, because we aren't really here to tell you which company makes for the better long-term investment. By the way, please note that nothing in this podcast constitutes investment advice. What we are interested in is the industry as a whole and the drivers behind it. And to do that, as always, we start with the founding story. There are two companies that are important in this industry, and we'll show you why shortly. One of them is called YY, no relation to my name, and the other is AC Fun. We've talked about YY quite a bit back in episode seven, the first live streaming episode, so I think we should start with AC Fun first. AC Fun stands for Anime Comic Fun, which was a video sharing site founded in 2007 that utilized Danmu or bullet messages, i.e., viewer-generated messages overlaid on the content, so you can see real-time reactions other viewers have to the video. The point was that it made watching videos a lot more interactive. AC Fun featured prominently in many a Chinese youth's childhoods, and its significance in popular culture is pretty unparalleled. But this story isn't about AC Fun. It's about how AC Fun accidentally incubated Bilibili and Douyu. Actually, Bilibili doesn't figure too much into our story here, so we won't go into it. But it was started by a senior employee of AC Fun who left in 2009 after having a dispute about future strategy. Bilibili today is now worth over five billion in market cap. And now for the real stars of our story: Douyu founders and co-CEOs Chen Shaojie and Zhang Wenming. Chen is the more visible figure. But basically, these two are nerds who saw the gaming opportunity early, and started a platform called Zhang Menren that allowed gamers to play versus each other online, like a Battle.net for those of you who game. Chen and Zhang, by the way, are pretty young. They graduated college in 2006 and started Zhang Menren just two years out of school. On the prospectus, they're listed as 35 and 34 years old, respectively. Anyway, after running the company for about two years. They sold it to gaming giant Shanda at the time, and Chen Shaojie stayed on to run the business. But he also bought AC Fun for four million RMB, or a little over half a million dollars. In 2012, when U.S. gaming streaming startup Twitch was spun off, Chen got the idea to do gaming videos instead of focusing on the anime that made AC Fun popular. In January of 2014, the gaming part of AC Fun was officially spun off and renamed. Douyu. Douyu means fighting fish, which is apparently named after some Thai sport where, well, fishes fight. I guess Chen Shaojie didn't forget his PVP gaming roots. Initially, according to him, they had trouble raising money. People didn't get it. I mean, they raised a three million dollar angel round pretty easily because they were serial entrepreneurs, but Chen said that only lasted them some two months of bandwidth costs. But soon, Sequoia Capital China jumped in with twenty million dollars, and less than two and a half years after being spun off from AC Fun, Douyu would become a unicorn. If you ask Chen Shaojie, though, Douyu's early days were very much on the brink. He really thanks Amazon for acquiring Twitch for almost a billion dollars in August 2014. After that, he says, fundraising became significantly easier. No duh. It's odd how these things work out because we know from investors in Twitch that it also benefited in its own fundraising from the success of Chinese companies such as YY. So this is definitely a sector where there is a lot of cross-border knowledge and capital flowing, and where keeping a close eye on foreign markets can help you identify homegrown wins. 2014, it turns out, is a good year for Chinese esports in general. 
It was also the year Huya officially spun off from YY after being founded as an internal division in the beginning of 2012. That was after it reached nearly 30 million MAU in just over a year, with over $20 million in annualized revenues. It was pretty obvious this is a strong standalone business. Those are impressive numbers. To give you some context, that same year, Twitch was at just 45 million MAU, despite having been available for a number of years before being spun off from Justin.tv in 2011. But then again, China accounts for basically two thirds of both the over half a billion esports players and just under half a billion esports viewers globally. So that makes sense. Gaming centric live streaming also makes up over a quarter of the total live streaming market in China. And in 2018, it was already about $2 billion. But we're jumping the gun a little here. In 2014, as both Huya and Douyu are spinning off, one more very important player we haven't introduced is also making plans to enter the industry. Not someone who figures prominently into our games is a man named Wang Sicong. Wang is China's most famous four dai, or trust fund baby, being the son of Wang Jianlin, owner of Wanda, one of China's largest commercial real estate companies and often its richest man at a net worth that wavers between 20 and 30 billion dollars. Wang Sicong is also incredibly influential, on social media anyway. The 31 year old's nickname is Guo Ming Lao Gong, or the People's Husband, due to his many fans and his status as probably. The most eligible bachelor in China. How many fans does he have, you ask? Well, he has a record 45 million followers on Weibo. Part of his appeal, or his notoriety, depending on how you want to define it, comes from the fact that he often posts his views about other people's businesses, including one scathing post about the indefensibility of influencer marketing company Ru Han's recent IPO. Now, that, if you remember, was the subject of our episode 41. It went viral, as many of his posts do. Basically, he talks a lot of trash. But some of his points are valid, so he isn't a total dummy. But the reason we bring him up is because you cannot talk about Chinese esports without talking about Wang Sicong. If Tencent is the biggest corporate player in the sector, then he is its most visible individual spokesperson. He is such an effective advocate, he's practically become synonymous with the field. And after Twitch's very visible success, Wang, who already owned a highly regarded esports team, IG, or Invictus Gaming, couldn't be expected to just sit on the sidelines while Huya and Douyu grew like weeds. Nope, he announced his own project, Panda.tv. In his own way, Wang Sicong really changed the way gaming live streaming works. First of all, the guy is a master at PR. It begins with how he announced the formation of the company. He did it on Weibo on the eve of the fourth anniversary of a major League of Legends tournament. And with his deep entertainment connections, Panda TV launched with A list celebrities such as Angela Baby and some of the best gaming live streamers in the business, of course, including his own team, IG. In just two years, it raised almost a quarter of a billion dollars from strategic investors such as LETV, aka La Echo, and Sihu360. For a while, the gaming live streaming market in China was dominated by these three players, and people liked to refer to them as the three warring powers in the Chinese classic, Romance of the Three Kingdoms. They were Huya, Douyu, and Panda TV. 
Besides marketing stunts, Wang Zetong is often held up as a scapegoat for the current state of the gaming live streaming industry, which is that top live streamers are often signed exclusive and very expensive contracts. But we don't actually think that's a very fair statement to make. No, if anything, Dou Yu and Hu Ya have been just as guilty. You see, gaming live streaming has one fundamental difference from general entertainment live streaming, like the joke telling or karaokeing you see on YY. The difference between gaming live streamers and others is that most non-gaming live streamers are very platform dependent. They're generally nobodies, then they become famous on the platform, and so they're heavily reliant on the platform to stay famous. As Gu Feng, the original head of YY Game Live Streaming, the predecessor to Hu Ya, notes, gaming live streamers are often famous in their own right, from esports tournaments, gaming-related media, other social media platforms, etc. They're not as platform dependent, and at least a portion, if not most, of their fans will follow them from platform to platform. Another advantage of gaming live streaming is the fans' obsession with the game itself. That is. You can be a fan of, say, Ninja, one of the top streamers on Twitch, but that's probably because you're already a fan of Fortnite. And with games, people are generally fans for multiple years. We are still in the beginning of the esports age here, but popular MOBAs or multiplayer online battle arenas like League of Legends has been around for a decade. Or if you're like my boyfriend, obsessed with Super Smash Bros, that game is like 20 years old. The point is, fans are both more influenced and stay longer with gaming live streamers because of their admiration for the live streamer's specific talents and obsession with the game itself. It's also arguable that more skill is required to become a gaming live streamer. Either way, they're now also being paid record amounts to be exclusive to certain platforms. But this was not always obvious—not even to experienced insiders. Nope. David Lee, Li Xueling. The well-respected founder of YY, the first live streaming platform China to go public, did not realize this at first, and did not allocate any money whatsoever to recruiting top gaming live streamers when he seeded what eventually became Hu Ya with a hundred million dollars in starting capital. He thought that the simple revenue-sharing mechanism that propelled YY to success and general entertainment would also work for gaming. Well, it didn't. And despite being well capitalized and having great resources at its disposal, Huya saw its competitors surge in traffic. However, by 2016, Huya had realized the error of its ways and supposedly spent a record 15 million dollars on a three-year exclusive contract with live streaming sensation Miss, one of the first well-known female Chinese gamers. Two years later, in 2018, that record itself would be broken by Dou Yu signing Wang Zhirongyao, or Arena Valor live streamer Cao Bai, whose contract would be double that at nearly 30 million USD. That's probably because Cao Bai has 20 million fans on Kuai Show alone. Again, reinforcing the fact that gaming live streamers are not beholden to any particular platform. In China, top streamers have large follower bases, but also have what Dou Yu calls many integrated promotion activities during live streaming. For example, Cao Bai gave away $150,000 in hongbaos or red packets during his welcome campaign when he first signed onto Dou Yu. Obviously, he had a professional team that helped manage all of this, and Dou Yu has been executing steadily on this strategy. Exclusive streamers accounted for a little more than one third of its live streaming revenues in 2016, but are now over half last year. 
That's not because the other platforms aren't contesting their lead, though. As we've already said, Huya is a fearsome competitor, and in the last two months of 2017 alone, Douyu lost eight top-tier live streamers to Huya and two to the smaller Panda TV. Maybe those numbers don't sound very big to you, but they actually do move the needle because it's extremely hard to get to the elite level of an exclusive streamer. How hard, you ask? According to Douyu's prospectus. At the end of 2018, it had six million streamers, of which less than 0.1 percent, or about 5,200, are contracted exclusive streamers. About six percent, or another nearly 400,000, are managed through agencies, meaning that a good 93 percent of all streamers are just amateurs, not making any serious money. The traffic also operates very much in a power law, in the sense that on most live streaming platforms, 10% of the streamers account for 90% of the fans and revenues. So yeah, you have to pay big money for the head of the curve because the long tail just doesn't do very much for you. Millions of dollars might sound like a lot of money to pay for a live streamer, right? But the thing is, because these contracts tend to be exclusive, with very few exceptions. Each one is both an offensive and defensive move. That is, because fans will follow their favorite live streamers wherever they go. If Douyu signs a top streamer, it's both adding to its own users and taking away from those of its competitors as well. But while the competition to sign top live streamers is intense, there is also a war being waged to retain them. That's happening, however, mostly in the courtrooms. And it's made very clear in the Douyu prospectus under the risk section. As we attract top streamers from other platforms, we have also been involved in legal disputes concerning top streamers with competing platforms. Yeah, no kidding. Douyu is an especially enthusiastic litigator. Earlier this year, the company was accused of engaging in questionable practices by taking its pending IP disputes to app stores to try to force them into taking down Huya's app, especially Apple. The courts ruled this as unlawful and unethical, and people wondered why Douyu was risking its reputation ahead of its IPO. Why? Because I think it's a life or death situation for Douyu. In Q4 2018, 72% of its streamers were game streamers, accounting for 81% of total viewing hours. 86% of its total revenues are from live streaming, and that share is increasing, not decreasing. Rival Huya is even higher at 96%. You can't afford to not spend. I know what you're all thinking right now, but surely that can't be all there is to this business. Well, sure, it's not that simple. As is generally agreed, there are three core competencies of live streaming platforms: one, content acquisition; two, traffic acquisition; and three, monetization ability. Having top gaming streamers basically means that you have number one and number two, content and traffic, covered. But what about monetization? This is where gaming live streaming looks weaker than general entertainment live streaming, because the level of interaction between fans and streamers is much lower. At least when the industry started, the ratio of paying fans for gaming versus non-gaming is only about one third, and the ARPU is similarly lower at about one third. One third times one third meant that game live streaming revenues were only going to be about ten percent of a similarly sized audience for general entertainment live streaming. That's actually no longer true today, as gaming arpus are about half of general live streaming. 
Yeah, YY's ARPU was over $100, while gaming live streaming ARPU seems to be around $50. But yes, general entertainment still beats gaming live streaming. And in the old days before live streaming became super competitive, the economics were actually pretty awesome. Revenue sharing between streamers and the platform would be 40-60, bandwidth costs would be about 20%, marketing costs were negligible, and other operating costs topped out at 10%, meaning that you were left with a 30% net margin. Companies like YY, by the way, are still pretty profitable, although not quite as high as 30%. Huya, being the brainchild of YY, seems to have done better at monetization than both Douyu and Panda TV. One of the main differentiators that's going for it is its investment into its own esports events. Not only does this give it unique IP, but it also allows it to incubate live streaming talent internally. Panda TV was arguably the worst of the three at this. First of all, costs across the board skyrocketed as competition flooded in. Remember the thousand group on war, the one that Meituan eventually won, that we covered back in episode 10 and updated for episode 23? Well, 2016 was called by many to be the Thousand Live Streams War, or Tianbo Zhizhan, because the number of live streaming apps went from barely any to over 300. By 2017, however, a few dozen had already declared bankruptcy, making it one of the shortest trends in recent memory. That year, too, short video rose to be on top and continues to dominate today. While Panda TV's strategy of paying big bucks or using its relationships to procure big shot live streamers worked in the beginning, the lack of in house star making capability or an ecosystem of gonghui, live streaming agencies that recruited, trained, and managed talent, really came in to bite it in the butt later. By the beginning of last year, there were already rumors that Panda TV was running out of money. Coupled together with the fact that regulatory changes really decimated the capital on hand of China's VCLPs, Chinese venture funds settled into a capital winter, or Ziben Handong. Things weren't great for anyone, but especially not Panda TV. The decreased appetite for risk means that whatever dry powder was left in the market tended to go to the decacorns at the top of the pyramid, your DD or ByteDance or Ant Financial, and not a third place player like Panda TV, even if it had the backing of China's most eligible bachelor. Also, there were accusations that maybe because the funding came too easily due to its celebrity CEO, fiscal mismanagement was rampant and accountability was low. People went to Panda TV to retire, not to work 996. Panda TV's UI looks so clean, people said. Or rather, they smirked. Apparently, that's a euphemism for not having enough commercial partnerships. Another interpretation of why Chinese apps are often considered messy by Western users they're just well monetized. Lots and lots of partners. As for Wang Sitong, Even though his involvement was so high profile, and indeed he was Panda TV's most effective spokesperson, he has either invested in or is connected to about 40 companies. And being a four guy, he apparently never actually got too involved in the operations. Only the glitz and the glam, of course. When Panda TV officially shut down on March 30th of this year, although its demise had long been rumored, It made shockwaves across the industry. No kidding. That was the biggest headline in Chinese tech a month ago. We didn't cover it because we figured tech buzzers were more interested in the new Shanghai Stock Exchange. But trust us, it was a huge deal. All right. 
I think that's quite a bit of gaming that we've gone through today. Hope all of you got the main gist of it. Wuchingying, do you mind summarizing for us? What did we learn today? All right, we learned that gaming live streaming is a pretty big industry in China, and that one of its biggest players, Douyu, filed for a $500 million IPO this past week. Douyu was a spinoff from AC Fun, a video sharing website that initially grew out of a community of anime lovers. Douyu's arch nemesis Hu Ya, itself a spinoff of YY, went public last year. That's now worth over five billion dollars. Both companies share overlapping shareholder Tencent, who owns 40% of Douyu, and both claim to be the number one in its space. While Douyu does have a larger number of monthly active users, Huya has higher revenues and margins across the board, and is profitable. While Douyu is loss-making, we also learned that both companies were founded back in 2012, not long after U.S. game streaming company Twitch spun off. They were then both officially spun off in 2014, the year Twitch was sold to Amazon for almost a billion dollars. They quickly raised a lot of money and were soon joined by a third well-funded competitor in China, Panda TV, which was run by the country's most eligible bachelor, Wang Sichong. Panda TV and Douyu were the first to give live streamers multi-million-dollar contracts to be exclusive to their platform, and eventually Huya followed suit. The reason why this strategy was necessary is because, unlike other live streamers, gamers have fans across multiple platforms and have a longer life cycle in terms of their celebrity, and so are not as beholden to the platform as general entertainment live streamers are. Nonetheless, because Panda TV wasn't as good at developing a pipeline of future talent and suffered from lax management, it shut down last month despite having a star roster of investors. Meanwhile, Huya and Douyu have both doubled their revenues in the past year and are projecting very healthy growth rates. But we should note here that despite growing quickly, ARPUs are significantly lower for gaming live streaming versus general live streaming, like only half as much. And the reason typically given is that interaction between streamer and fans is lower. For most of these live streaming platforms, whether gaming centric or not, they're experimenting with two main strategies going forward. One is the expansion into other verticals such as e-commerce or education. The other is geographic expansion, mostly into developing economies like Southeast Asia, India, the Middle East, and North Africa. But even for Europe and North America, it's generally agreed that the market is less competitive than it is in China, where it's already a sea of red. By the way, the geographic expansion strategy is not limited to live streaming, but all sorts of consumer internet media companies. The most notable one being ByteDance and its short video app TikTok. Right, so that's it. With China being the world's largest esports market, accounting for nearly two thirds of both players and viewers, this is one highly competitive sector where it is the undisputed lead. And even Yingying, who is definitely not a gamer, agrees that this sector is interesting because it's one of the most global ones out there, with plenty of opportunities for cross-border capital. Twitch's investors found comfort in YY's business model from China, and all the gaming live streaming platforms then took cues from Twitch and sold the story to their investors. Talk about unexpected synergies! But that doesn't mean all of these companies will survive. 
There are many who believe that the expensive content acquisition strategies are unsustainable. They are at least, well, keeping the lawyers busy. The platforms are constantly suing streamers and each other for breach of contract. And no wonder, with so many multi-million dollar contracts being thrown around, greed is bound to get in the way. In response to this phenomenon, Chinese people love to quote Warren Buffett, who apparently said, "You only find out who is swimming naked when the tide goes out." 只有退潮了，才知道谁在裸泳。Well, the markets are still good, so the tide is still high. But we already know Panda TV wasn't swimming with its pants on. The question is, though, how about the others? Are they also going to get caught swimming naked? What do you guys think? Let us know. All right, that's all for this week, folks. Thanks for listening. As a reminder, episodes will now be available every other Friday instead of on Wednesdays. We really enjoyed putting this together, as always, and we're always open to any comments or suggestions. You can find us on Twitter at the Pan Daily. At Tech Buzz China, and my personal Twitter account is spelled G I N Y G I N Y, and my Twitter is spelled R U I M A. Tech Buzz China by Pan Daily is powered by the Seneca Podcast Network. Pandaily.com is an English language site that tells you everything about China's innovation. Our producers are Xiao Wan and Kaiser Guo. Our interns are Wang Wanglu and Mindy Xu. See you in two weeks.